Okay, well, we are wrapping up our series on the Minor Prophets with the book of Malachi, and I hope that you've enjoyed this series as much as I have. I really, every time I go through the Minor Prophets, um, it makes me think, why don't we spend more time uh, in the prophets? Why don't we spend more time talking about them? Because they're incredibly relevant. And as I say every week, they're also very easy to read uh, for the most part. I'm not saying they're always easy to understand, uh, but they're short. And so they're very easy to read from the beginning to the end and sort of get the big picture. And, and I hope that we have time to do that with Malachi this evening. Uh, but the, the main phrase that I want us to think about as we get started and as we go through this book is this, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? What difference does it really make if I believe or not? What difference does it make if I give 100% of myself to God? What difference does it make if I show up or not? What difference does it make if I'm the kind of person that God wants me to be? What difference does it really make? It's a book about spiritual apathy, to say, I don't really care. What difference does it make? And the way I think about this book is it's very much a conversation, and I tend to think of it as a conversation between a father and a son. And I, I think about maybe like, again, this is a metaphor or an analogy, but imagine uh, a father has adopted a child into his family, and the father is incredibly wealthy, just, just incredibly wealthy and has more money than he knows what to do with. And the primary reason he's adopted this son into his life is because he just wants to bless him and he wants that son to go out into the world and take his wealth and bless the world with it. He just wants to, to have this wonderful relationship with this son of his, but ever since he adopted him into the family, he's been nothing but a headache. I mean, he's just been rebellious and hard to get along with and obstinate and rude and disrespectful and just everything wrong with a, a son that could possibly be wrong. This son has demonstrated all of the wrong things. And so the, the father has done everything within his power to discipline and discipline and discipline. In fact, he even sent him away for a while to a boarding school and said, okay, you know, maybe this being sent away will sort of straighten you out. And then he comes back and it seems like he really hasn't learned his lesson. And his dad looks at him and said, son, I, I love you so much. And the son looks at him and says, how do you love me? How do you even say that you love me? You probably love the neighbor kids as much as you love me. Or you probably love the neighbor kids more than you love me. And the dad says, how could you, how could you say that after everything that I've done for you? How could you say that I love them more than you? I've done all of this for, me, for you and you, you continue to be nothing but disrespectful to me. And, and the the son replies, disrespectful? How have I disrespected you? I've done everything that you've asked me to do. And what difference does it make in my life? You don't even notice or even care that I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. And the dad says, how, how could you say that you're doing everything that you're supposed to do? You, 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 when you do something for me, it's like half-hearted, like you, you barely even show up. You're, you're phoning it in. You know, you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You treat me awful. If you treated your boss the way you treat me, you would be fired. If you treated your school teacher the way you treat me, you'd be expelled. And the kid kind of replies with, whatever. 
You know, can you kind of picture that sort of scenario in your mind? That's, that's the book of Malachi. That's the book of Malachi. It's this conversation between the father, God, and the son, Israel. And of course, they've, they've been sent off to boarding school. No, they've been sent off to exile, to Babylon, right? Jerusalem was destroyed. They got sent off to, to Babylon, to exile. Then they've come back. And decades have transpired. And the temple has been rebuilt. Maybe even the walls have been rebuilt. And yet, this, this same sort of conversation is going on. And, and we've seen that every single week, haven't we? Learn your lesson. Wake up. Be the people you were called to be. Do you, do you realize do you realize the opportunity that you've been given in being brought out of Egypt and being made into this holy people? And yet you've rebelled and you've been obstinate and disrespectful and you've been like everybody else. But yet through it all, I keep telling you, you are my chosen people. I am going to use you to change the world. I will not give up on this relationship with you, period end of discussion and and the whole time the son is replying what difference does it really make what difference does it make if we offer sacrifices what difference does it make if we pray what difference does it make if we obey you you don't you don't ever bless us you don't ever do anything for us if you're a parent you you've seen that if you're a child you've probably done that I've done that I've treated my parents that way and I've been treated that way by my kids you know that sort of that sort of apathy and, and maybe you've even felt that way towards God. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? How is my life any better or any worse given obedience to God? What difference does it make? What difference does it make if I'm a faithful person? What difference does it make if I follow the rules? What difference does it make if I'm devoted to God? So let's look at the text. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Again, this is after they've come back and they've begun rebuilding. The the temple's been rebuilt. Maybe even the walls have been rebuilt. And they're still apathetic. And God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau, this is God replying, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. He says, you know, I I picked you. And and then Israel's replying, you don't really love us. You love everybody else just as much as you. No, I don't. I love you special. And my relationship with you is special. And when, when Edom, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, when they disobeyed, they were wiped out. And that's the end. I'm I'm done. But with you, it's different. And I've brought you back and I'm restoring you. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may, be, they may rebuild, but I will tear it down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Now that doesn't mean that God hated the Edomites, like he hated individual Edomites, just like he didn't hate any individual whateverites, Right? It means that Israel was special and he had a special plan for Israel. And, and when these other nations rebelled, God was just done, right, with them. But with Israel, he keeps bringing them back and restoring them because he has a plan through them to bless the entire world. 
Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests who despise my name? See, Israel was supposed to be different. And, and the main thing, I, this might be a weird metaphor. Wednesday nights, I let, you haven't noticed this, I like to try out weird metaphors and, and analogies. But, um, you know, I think about a model house or a model, uh, a model apartment or something. You know, when you go and you, you maybe want to move into an apartment complex, they show you the model apartment, right? They show you the one that's really nice and it's decorated really nice, it's laid out really nice. And they show you so that you say, wow, this is a wonderful management company. This is a wonderful apartment company and I want to move into this apartment complex. Israel was supposed to be the model to say this is what happens when you follow Yahweh. This is what happens when Yahweh is your God. This is what happens when you attach yourself to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Israel. But it doesn't work that way when you walk into the model apartment and it's a disaster, right? If you walk into the model house and it's a wreck, you say, why would I want to move in here? You're bringing shame and reproach upon the one that you're supposed to represent. And That's what Israel has done. They've despised the name of the Lord. But you say, Israel says, how have we despised your name? And the response is, verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present... Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? If you took to the governor to pay your taxes or whatever, the animals that you're offering to me as a gift, do do you think the governor would accept that? Of course not. And look at, this is how you love me? Did you give me your leftovers and your scraps and your lame and blind animals? Verse 9. And again, it's not that God cares about the animals. What does he care about? The people's heart and their devotion and their love for him. Verse 9, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. If this is the way you're going to do it, if it's going to be half-hearted, and, and your heart isn't in it, and you're not going to give me yourself, then just shut the doors. Just showing up and going through the motions, there is no merit in that. There is no merit in just going through the motions. I want you. I want your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And if that's not what you're going to give me, and you're just going to apathetically just toss me your scraps, then just shut the doors and stop it with the charade already, because I'm sick of it. Verse 11, for... From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its fruit may be despised. But you say, verse 13, but you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it. (sighs) I'm just so worn out doing what God wants me to do. I'm just so worn out offering him these sacrifices, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or it's lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. 
Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Again, the big question is, what difference does it make? Who cares what I offer? I'm gonna, why, why offer the best of my flocks? I'm going to save that for myself. Oh yeah, I'll tell everybody, yes, I'll vow that and I'll sacrifice that. But when it comes right down to it, give them the blind one. Nobody's going to know any different. Give them the lame one. Nobody's going to know any difference. What difference does it make? And isn't this the same kind of thing that Jesus would say? You know, it's one thing to make a show of your religion and to give to the poor when other people are looking, but it's what you do when nobody's looking because there is one that's looking, always. It's one thing to pray on the streets and to, you know, shout and say what, what great, beautiful, long prayers that you have. But it's another thing to pray in your closet because your father who sees in secret will reward you. God is taking notice and he's telling Israel it does make a difference. And I do notice and I'm taking account and I'm writing it all down. And you think it doesn't matter and who cares and what difference does it make? But it makes all the difference in the world because I know that for you, all of this religious thing is just a charade. Chapter two and verse one. And now, oh priest, I'm sorry, is that where I got to? I got lost. Is that where I got to the end of chapter one? Yeah, okay, chapter two, verse one. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. I mean, do you, do you pick up on all this language about my name? My name will be great and my name will be feared and my name will be respected. Some people that are sort of cynical, and I understand it because if you just read it and you're not really familiar, you might think, well, pfft, God's kind of egotistical, right? Why is he so, so obsessed with his own reputation? Why is he so obsessed with his own name? What, what, why does he care so much that people love him and fear him and respect him? Because he is our salvation right? I mean, if, if you were a lifeboat and there were people like sinking in the water all around you and people were bad-mouthing the lifeboat and say, don't trust that lifeboat. It's not worth anything. It won't really save you. It won't really help you. you. You don't want people undermining the integrity of the lifeboat when the lifeboat is the only thing that can save them. The only thing that, that we were created for is to bring glory to God, Right? We are his creation. And the only way we get out of this thing alive, the only way we beat death is by putting our hope and our trust in him. And if, if something causes us to lack or, or to distrust the integrity of God, to undermine the integrity of God, and we don't put our trust in him, of course God cares about that. He wants you to know that he is great and that he is awesome and that he is powerful and that he, that he can be trusted. And the people that were supposed to be on display for the whole world to see, to say God can be trusted. If you put your hope and your trust in him, if you worship and serve and are devoted to and belong to, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Israel, of Israel, then, then you will be saved and you will be secure and you will prosper. 
but their actions undermine that truth, don't they? And isn't there an incredibly relevant, incredibly applicable truth for us? That if we are going to be the people that are called by his name, then we have to understand that God is, God is jealous for his own reputation. Our job is to go out into the world and help people to know you can trust in the name of the Lord. It's the only thing, the only thing you can trust in. Verse three, behold, and he's again talking to the priests. He says, behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread, it's rough, I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. Now, that's, that, just, that just seems downright mean, doesn't it? But it's, it's about shame and defilement because they're, they're defiling this covenant relationship. They're bringing shame and reproach upon the place the house of the Lord and on the name of the Lord. And he says that he will bring shame and defilement and reproach upon them. Verse five, my covenant with him, with Levi, was one of life and peace and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. Now remember, Levi and then his descendant Aaron, and then all of the priests are their descendants, right? The descendants of Levi and of Aaron. And he's reminding them, this was your job as a people, as the descendants of Levi, as the descendants of Aaron. Your job was to, was to teach what is right and to bring uh, honor to me. Verse 7, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so, back to the, the dung we read a minute ago. So I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one father... Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign God. So here's another way that you are profaning the covenant of our fathers. And apparently it has to do with Something we've talked about before when we talked about uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, about them intermarrying with idolatrous people, married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob and descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Why doesn't he accept our offering? And again, there seems to be this total disconnect. They're doing things that are wrong, whether that's offering the, lie, the lame and the blind animals as, as sacrifices, whether it's 
oppressing each other and taking advantage of each other, or it's marrying idolatrous women and letting their hearts be led astray into idolatry. And yet, they're offering these sacrifices to God, and God is not accepting them, and they're still confused. Why? Why? Why, Why are we still in trouble? <laughs> Haven't you learned? Haven't you listened? And, you know, again, as parents, we understand that with our kids sometimes. It's, it's, why haven't you learned this lesson yet? And they still just look at you with a blank stare and, what? 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 What did we do wrong? What did we do wrong? But we do the exact same thing to God, don't we? What are you doing? This isn't how you're supposed to live. This isn't how you're supposed to treat each other. These aren't the sorts of things that God's people do. This isn't right, and you know it's not right. Why does he not accept our offering? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Because you're you're marrying someone in your youth and then you're not faithful to her. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. There is so much truth here about marriage, isn't there? And we think sometimes maybe the deep theological truths about marriage don't come around until Jesus and maybe Paul and points us towards the relationship between Jesus and the church or when Jesus talks about, you know, being one and and not being separated. But Malachi gets pretty serious here, doesn't he? And he says, when two people are joined together in marriage, there is a union of the spirit in their union, in their covenant relationship. And what is God seeking in their union? He's seeking godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. Do you want to know, he's saying? Do you want to know why God isn't listening to your prayers? Do you want to know why you're offering things to God and it's just a ritual that's absolutely empty and meaningless? It's because of things like this. It's because when you don't like your wife, you go get another one. And your garments, although they may look like they're white as snow, they're stained with violence. And God is furious. And they still haven't learned that it's not ceremony and ritual with which God is pleased. He is pleased with faithfulness. And this divorce stuff, this divorce stuff is a sin against God and against the wife to whom they are being faithless, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. You have Listen to these words. You have wearied the Lord with your words. (laughs) That's heavy, isn't it? God is worn out with your words. He's tired of it. He's tired of your excuses. He's tired of what you're saying. He's tired of your, your questions. He's tired of you not getting it. But you say, how have we wearied him? <laughs> you, you still don't get it. Again, back and forth of the conversation. By saying, here's how you, you've wearied him. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? You keep, you keep per- perverting right and wrong and doing the things that are wrong and calling them good. 
and, and, and not doing the things that are good and thinking those things are, are wrong show up. Why aren't you doing the things that I've told you over and over and over and over again? In the law and in the prophets, God has sent message after message after message after message to his people saying, this is how you live. I have told you, O oh man, what is good. What? Mercy, justice, walk humbly with your God over and over and over again. And yet you continue to just do what you feel like doing. You want to marry that woman? Even though she's an idolatrous, you go marry that woman. You, you want to leave your wife and go marry another woman? You, you want to cheat somebody or steal from somebody or line your own pockets or offer a sacrifice that's lame and blind and you just keep doing it and you think, what difference does it make? And then at the same time, you have the audacity to say, why would God be mad at me? Because <laughs> of how you're living. Stop going down this road. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Who, who does that end up being? We know the, the end of the story, right? Who does that end up being? John, right? John the baptizer comes to prepare the way before the Lord. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Fire and soap, right? He's, he's going to refine you and cleanse you. He's going to take away all the bad and wash away all the dirt. He's going to refine you like silver and he's going to cleanse you like soap. He's going to take out all of the bad and separate all of the bad from all of the good. Right? Now, as we read through this chapter, we could ask ourselves, now is this, is this something that Jesus will do on the day of judgment, or is it something that Jesus did in his appearing, in his first appearing? And the answer is, as it often is, yes, right? And Jesus came and he exposed, without sword or spear or arrow or war horse, he exposed the evil of the evildoers. He exposed all of these things that Malachi is talking about. He exposed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the, the priesthood that was corrupt. He exposed the religious fakers of his day. He brought all of these things to the surface. And at the same time, he, he brought relief and comfort and salvation to the, the word we've always been using, enough, right? To the meek those that have been trusting and waiting for the Lord to show up. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years." We talked about that last week when we talked about Zephaniah or Zechariah. We talked about Zechariah, and then tonight, this. We keep seeing these pictures of Jerusalem, and, and we talk about how there's, there's two Jerusalems, right? Yes, in a sense, the truth of the gospel and of Jesus, the message of salvation went forth out of Jerusalem to the whole world, and there's also a sense in which we already belong to the city that is to come. Right? Paul says in Galatians 4 that there is the present Jerusalem. Like if you travel over to Israel, you can go to the present Jerusalem. But he says that's not where our citizenship is. 
Our citizenship is in the, the Jerusalem that's hidden, the city that is to come. And Jesus is the one who makes the citizens of that kingdom pure. Verse where we in? Uh, look at verse five. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against, listen to these words, against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless. Same thing we've been talking about through all the prophets, isn't it? It's, It's not just your rituals. It's not just your ceremonies. It's not just what you do at temple. It's not just what you do when you pray. It's what you do every moment of every day. And when I come, I will expose and I will judge and I will cleanse and I will bring judgment against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, the foreigner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. Listen, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. That's been the message all along, hasn't it? Before the destruction of Israel, before the destruction of Jerusalem, When the temple was being rebuilt, now that the temple has been rebuilt, now that they're waiting for the Messiah, over and over and over again, return to me and I will return to you. And then he says, but you say, how shall we return? How shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Again, the back and forth, like father and son. Son, look at what you're doing. What do you mean? What am, I, what am I doing? I'm doing everything that's right. No, no, no. You're not. You're robbing me. How am I robbing you? In your tithes and your contributions, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And it it really wasn't until Jesus came that Israel ever really did this, right? And this, this is why Jesus is the embodiment of Israel, the embodiment of Judah, the embodiment of God's people. And he is the one who gives his whole self to the Father, right? Body, soul, spirit, obedience, faithfulness, and is faithful to God. And then because he does what he does, the the storehouses of heaven are burst wide open and his blessings come down, have come down, are coming down, will come down to his people. But the same truths that are ours in Jesus were theirs, right? The same same commandments, the same expectations. This is how you live. And and if we think for a moment that we can't fall into these same traps, where we just half-heartedly go through it and just say, well, you know, I mean, what difference does it really make how I live? 
It, it seems like my life is no better than anybody else's life. If I, if I show up to church every time the doors are open, if I give everything that I have away and I help the poor and I'm, you know, I'm really faithful and I read my Bible and I say my prayers, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Have you ever felt that way? It's exactly how they're feeling. But meanwhile, while they're asking what difference does it make, they're not actually doing those things. They're asking what difference does it make, but they're not actually giving of their whole self. It would be one thing if they were giving their whole selves to God in total, complete, and utter faithfulness, and then asking what difference does it make, but they're not. They're giving themselves half-heartedly to God and then asking what difference does it make. And God says, try me. Try me. Give your whole self to me and see how it works out. Give your whole self to me and I'll show you what will happen. Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine and your fields shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, right? I mean, you've talked pretty rough to me, God's saying to them. You've talked pretty rough to me says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You've said it's vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. God says, you've spoken hard against me because you say you don't even care, God. You don't care that the evildoers are getting away with it and their lives are more blessed than ours. That's what you're accusing me of not caring. You're accusing me and saying it doesn't really matter how we live. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Those that were the remnant that said it does matter. It does make a difference. God does see. God does hear. God does know. God wrote down their names in a book of remembrance and said, I will remember you. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And I mean, we might stop and say, well, how, right? I mean, how will God remember them? Didn't they die? And they died hundreds of years before the Messiah came. See, but that's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel isn't just that you and I get to be saved. The gospel is that all of the faithful whose names are put into the book of remembrance will be resurrected and will be given life and inheritance and their work in the Lord will not be in vain just as much as your work in the Lord will not be in vain. The Messiah saves them just as much as the Messiah saves us. And God was telling the people of Malachi's day and everybody who lived from that day forward, it does make a difference. God does see your faithfulness or your lack of faithfulness. God will remember. Then he promises, verse 18, then once more you shall see you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. I love that phrase, and that's where we'll end, is you shall see the distinction. You shall see the distinction. Maybe right now, for them, right then, it wasn't obvious 
the distinction wasn't obvious. And if we're honest, we have to say the same thing sometimes, don't we? It's not obvious. The distinction isn't obvious. You're not promised any better health than someone who lives a wildly inappropriate life, are you? And sometimes you've probably been tempted to say, what difference does it make? What difference does it make if I'm there on Wednesday night? What difference does it make if I'm there on Sunday morning? What difference does it make if I'm faithful? What difference does it make if I stay faithful to my spouse? What difference does it make? Because it looks like those people out there, they're having a pretty fun time, and they seem to live a long life, and they seem, everything seems to be going okay with them, and I get sick, and I have bills to pay, and I, what difference does it make? And we might think the same thing that they thought. And God says, If you are faithful and you give yourself fully to me, you shall see the distinction. When Jesus showed up in his lifetime, to some degree, he showed us the distinction, didn't he? But we we wait for the day when that distinction will be fully known. And everyone who has fully given themselves to the Lord, that distinction will be fully obvious for them. And everyone who's been half-hearted or has rejected the Lord, that distinction will be fully known for them as well. And so in this moment, as we wait for the second coming of the Messiah, when we, as we wait for his appearing, as we wait for the city that is to come, we, we take note of this, right? To say, God is writing your name down. God sees everything. He sees every prayer you pray in secret. He sees every dollar you give in secret. He sees all of your faithfulness. He sees your heart. He sees what you're doing. And your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You will be rewarded because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. So trust in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we apologize that sometimes we too accuse you. And we're not patient enough. And we think, what difference does it make? And we get tired of waiting. But Father, we pray that you renew our patience and that you help us to wait faithfully for you, to be faithful with one another, to speak the way you would have us to speak, to treat others the way you would have us to treat others, to treat our spouse the way you'd have us to treat our spouse, to treat our enemies the way you would have us to treat our enemies because we trust in you that someday we will see the distinction and that we will know that all along it did make a difference how we lived and whether or not we were faithful to you. Father, thank you for Jesus who has brought salvation and has brought promise and has brought hope to all of us. And it's in his name we pray, amen.